Time to unveil my 2022 college football coaching power ratings. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Cook. Waits for it. Hey, 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 Brady gets terrific. Before Brazil got it, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle, caught by Kolodar to five on his feet, touchdown Michigan! On its way, it's good! He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan, but Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play, pressure coming, sack! It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Ron Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. And as I continue putting together the building blocks of my perennial preview I've been doing since I was a sophomore in high school, which is way too long ago now, um, the next step after we concoct the team total talent ratings is to come up with my coaching power ratings because coaching does make a big difference in college football, especially when we're talking about developing young players, getting them to play cohesively as a unit, which is why even if you think like Jimbo Fisher does, that Nick Saban's been cheating his ass off in, shall we say, procuring talent all these years at Alabama, and I happen to agree with Jimbo, it doesn't take anything away from his accomplishments because you still need to get 85 guys on the same page. You've still got to have 22 guys ready to play, and sometimes it's even harder to coach and develop the teams that come in with all that talent and all that ego into a cohesive force than it is guys that maybe are a little more underrated, have a little bit more of the chip on the shoulder. So we needed to figure out how were we going to quantify how to grade coaches because remember, the point of my preseason preview is to project how I think the season is going to go. And so this is the metric that I came up with for my Power 5 plus Notre Dame head coaching power ratings. So first of all, everybody is graded on their overall Power 5 head coaching resume. And that's on a scale of 1 to 10. And that's assessing what each head coach has done strictly as a Power 5 head coach. 
Next, on a scale of one to five, we assess your non-Power 5 head coaching overall resume. So we're assessing what each head coach has done as either a group of five head coach or a Power 5 top assistant coach or an NFL head assistant coach. Um, And we do that on a scale, like I said, of one to five. Then we get into projection a little bit. Um, What is the current coaching trajectory? And that's graded on a scale of 1 to 10. So we're trying to assess whether the needle for the next four years or a full recruiting cycle, is that pointing up or down and to what level at this stage of each coach's career? We then get into a big game bonus on a scale of 1 to 3. Coaches that are known for producing in big games as a head coach at the Power 5 level are given a bonus of one to three points. And then finally, we have a three-point Hall of Fame bonus. And that is for coaches that are obviously destined destined for the College Football Hall of Fame, that's for college coaching only, based on their accomplishments up until this point. Meaning if they added nothing else to their resumes right now, would they be an absolute lock for the College Football Hall of Fame? If that is the case, then they were given three bonus points. So there's a total of 31 points possible within this metric. So that gives you the breakdown. Let me now show you the rankings, and we're actually going to show you how we how they were each broken down even by each of these individual criterias. So this year, the last couple of years, Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney have essentially been tied. This year, Nick Saban takes over as the clear number one in the college football coaching power ratings. Dabo Sweeney is number two. Uh, that's so, that's He's a solid number two. And then things begin to bunch up a little bit. Jimbo Fisher, having won a national championship before, he's at number three. Brian Kelly, who's done everything in college football other than win a Division one national championship. He won them at uh, Grand Valley State back in the day. He's fourth. Mac Brown, because of the Hall of Fame bonus, is number five. Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley. Jim Harbaugh made a big jump this year after getting uh, National Coach of the Year. He's back into the top ten. Kyle Whitney. Ham of Utah and Ryan Day. Those are my top 10 coaches. And I think just about everybody would rank those right now as the top 10 coaches. You may disagree on the order, but you can see when you look at the far right column there, the point score overall is pretty close. Now you might wonder, well, hey, these guys have the same score. Why is one guy ahead of the other? Well, what I used for the first tiebreaker is who had the highest current coaching trajectory. So their career looked to be uh, more on the upswing. So in the case of Jim Harbaugh, because he's a, he's younger than Kyle Whittenham, and there's some talk that he was going to retire last year and might even retire after this season, he right now is just one spot lower on the current coaching trajectory, and that settled the tie between him and Jim Harbaugh. But what if they both had the same current coaching trajectory? Then I just subjectively made the call on who I would rate higher. All right, so that is the second tiebreaker. Finishing out the top 15, you see Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State there. Uh, Chip Kelly at UCLA, who had a bounce-back season. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Matt Campbell falls from number 8 to number 14. Uh, and then Paul Christ of Wisconsin. That round, that rounds out the top 15. We see Pat Fitzgerald there from the Big Ten. Mario Cristobal now at Miami. Dave Aranda was the biggest mover from year one to year two. Obviously, rookie coaches get downgraded a lot because they don't have much of a power five resume but after the season Dave Aranda had winning the Big 12 in his very first venture as a head coach uh, he made the biggest jump of any coach in this year's ratings from last year to this year second biggest jump is down there at number 29 uh, and that's Mel Tucker at Michigan State uh, for, given the uh, what he did in his second season winning Big 10 
Coach of the Year. The next group of coaches we'll take a look at. You see Jeff Brom made a nice little bump up to 31. Tom Allen fell several spots after the season that Indiana had. Steve Sarkeesian uh, was one of the biggest uh, droppers after the season that he had to debut at Texas. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, also one of the biggest movers uh, from last year. One of the biggest uh, movers, mover-uppers, I should say. You may see coaches here on the list that are in italics. Those are first-year coaches. So right now, according to my ratings, Sonny Dykes at TCU, Brent Venables at Oklahoma, those are the two highest first-year coaches in the Power Five. All right, so that's what that means. Because obviously Mario Cristobal is at his first year at Miami, but he, having been at Oregon, coached in the Power Five. So these are guys that are in their first years in the Power Five. Sonny Dykes is kind of an interesting case, you know, 10, 15 years ago, he coached for a few years at, at uh, Cal. So he doesn't technically count, so, but I did, because he came from the group of five, I decided to go ahead and count him in that first year. Kalen DeBoer, if you're a Big Ten fan, you'll recognize that name. Uh, he was the Indiana offensive coordinator a couple of years ago. They went out to Fresno State as head coach, and now he takes over at the University of Washington. There's Herm Edwards at 42. He was the biggest dropper from last year to this year of any of the head coaches on this list. Continuing on as we get close to the end of the list here, uh, you see Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame makes the debut there at 49. Him and Dan Lanning at Oregon have virtually the same profile. More new head coaches there and Tony Elliott at Virginia coming over from Clemson. Uh, and a, a lot of this list, these names, except with the exception of the new guys like Mike Elko there at Duke, these were pretty much the same guys on this tier last year Maybe they've just moved around a spot or two. And if you are, of course, you know, if you like black humor, if if you are, you, you have sinister uh, motivations, you're like, I got to know who's in last place. Well, we're about to show you. Poor Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Might be a great coach, but he's at Vanderbilt. He's in last place this year. So those, and there's former Michigan assistant Jed Fish at Arizona, who's actually up a couple spots. He was last place last year. So those are my head coach power ratings that I use to kind of settle tiebreakers when I get teams together during the season that I think talent-wise are pretty similar situationally. There's not really one advantage over another, and I'm projecting the the records and the season outcomes for every team. This is one of the tiebreakers I look at is, is there a coach advantage here? And therefore, I'll give deference to that. Let's find out what our friend Mark Rogers thinks about this list with the 10-Minute War next. Time now for the 10-Minute War when we talk to perhaps the one and the only. In the vast Bucknut universe, the one and only reasonable one, our good friend Mark Rogers here, who of course has his own fantastic channel on YouTube, The Voice of College Football. And I'm telling you guys right now, with season win totals and early game lines, these are the loosest lines you'll get all year long. I'll be coming out with my first season win total best bets here over Memorial Day weekend, by the way. So look for that on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. But this is really the time of year. You want to be digging into Mark's channel and get that preseason information from uh, contributors all across the sport, all over the country, get ahead of those markets. One of the reasons, you know, you want to know why one of the reasons Mark's record during the season is so damn good? Because he sits here for the previous nine months getting all this insider information on all these teams from all of these, uh, uh, all these contributors uh, and correspondents all year long. And then it pays off September, October, November. Am I lying, Mark? That's the secret sauce, brother. I try to be a good listener. 
Yes, you are very good at that. You are very good at that. And of course, that scribbling sound is Mark taking notes. Remember that? Okay. (laughs) All right. So, Mark, I have come up forth now with the second thing. You know, I I put together the kind of the framework building blocks for my preview that I do every year. Before I actually sit down and write it, I kind of want to have data, right? So last time we talked to you two weeks ago, we looked at the first building block where we just looked at the overall ceiling of talent for each team in the Power Five. This year, we now look at my, or this week, we now look at my coaching power. Power ratings, which I kind of use to settle ties when I'm projecting games. And I think that the talent's close, the situation's not really a big advantage from one team to the next. And then you start looking at your own records at the end and you're like, okay, I just know a team coached by Brian Kelly isn't going seven and five, no matter what kind of uncertainty I see in LSU's schedule, right? So I've got to make an adjustment there. But I wanted to quantify it. So before we get to the individual ratings themselves, we've talked about this before because it's not the first year that I've done this, but What are your thoughts, again, just to reset them, on the system I came up with a few years ago to grade the, to power rate these coaches just in and of itself? So if anybody wants to Google uh, coaches' rankings, they can find all sorts of coaches' rankings, just like top 25 rankings, where most people are just simply spitballing. They are just coming up with a list, and they've got nothing to back it up. Steve takes it to the metric level. That is phenomenal. I released some coaches' rankings about six weeks ago. I believe I'm just as measured, but I don't put a metric to it. I don't put a point total. So I do have, even though I really respect your system, I love that you put a system to it. I've got a few issues here. So one would be the non-Power 5 work, the the resume put together for the non-Power 5 guys, um, just in regards to that, most of that experience, most of that performance being so far removed at this point from, especially if we're looking at the top 15 to 20 coaches mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. as you have them listed, I just think that, that that resume sheet is just so far removed from most of those people. The, the two guys that I could find that were the closest to their, their group of five experience was Mario Cristobal and Matt Campbell, and even they have proven you know, beyond that. So I, I'm just thinking that that's weighted a little too heavily. Um, the, the Hall of Fame portion of this, I got to admit, Steve, I just don't get it. I would get rid of the entire thing hmm. in terms of the Hall of Fame category. So let me discuss the first, each of those. Okay. The, first, the reason I did the, the non-Power 5 head coaching resume is because the first year I did this, or the first time I did this, Way downgraded, way downgraded, I should say, guys who've never coached before. All right. And this is even still going to, I mean, you know, like I just mentioned, Dave Aranda is the biggest mover I have. He went up almost 50 spots in these ratings from last year because first year he takes over, they he's Big 12 coach of the year and wins the conference championship. Right. All right. But I, I tried to come up with something that would buttress the tendency of the of the, of the framework without it to just really uh, blast rookie head coaches, guys that had never been a Power 5 head coach before. And 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 then I didn't want to overrate it because I was afraid of what you said. So that's why I, I, I split the baby in half. I came up with that as a metric, but then I didn't grade it up to 10 like everything else, but only up to 5, just so we wouldn't see the guys that were rookie head coaches you know, be completely and totally dismissed when in reality, Brent Venables is stepping into an excellent roster and an excellent situation in Oklahoma. 
And it's not it's much better than the situation Bob Stoop stepped into at Oklahoma when he'd never been a head coach before. And so I just think that should be accounted for to some degree. Um, but but I tried to not overanalyze it because of what you just said. Like a guy like Jim Harbaugh is at a five. He's at the max with that because he's still a, a top four all-time win percentage coach in the NFL, right? How much does that play into what he does now? I don't know. Does it help him get assistant coaches? Because Lord knows he's hired a bunch of them. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, you know, how to quantify that, the further guys get away from that experience. And so to, con- to compensate for that, that's why I made it half the value of the other factors. And then, Steve, I'm also guessing that there's a recency component to the Power Five resume, that Nick Saban's work in the last five years is much more weighted than his work at Michigan State or LSU. Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, especially, uh, but, again, but he's a, he would be an extreme example because that sure. the work at Alabama heavily weights against anybody else's work ever, except for a previous maybe coach at Alabama. <laughs> All right? So, but yeah, yeah, of course that occurs. And then on the Hall of Fame bonus, I, cre- I came up with that because we were having Chip Kelly... Um, uh, Mac Brown. Uh, other, there were a few others too that were kind of returning to the game, but had been gone for a while. So, what do I do with that? Um, um, and so to do that, and then we had coaches that were fading, like Gary Patterson, the last couple of years. Okay, so again, I, I'm when I when I put a metric together, I'm actually not. I'm attempting to limit my ability to overreact. This is sort of like my. You know, uh, I'm applying uh, my my constitutional views in another arena into this metric where the the Constitution is there to limit the jurisdiction of government and stop radical passions of the people creating wide swaths of dysfunction from election to election, you know, kind of like what we have right now. Okay, Um, and so when I create a metric, I kind of you go into it with that in mind that I want to consider things that are outliers, but not over consider them. So that's why the Hall of Fame bonus is only three points. Okay, so but so so that's the rationale behind both of those metrics. Okay, that makes sense. I don't necessarily agree with it, but especially with the Hall of Fame bonus, I just think that it's redundant. It's a redundancy of the other categories to to tack on the Hall of Fame bonus. And then you actually have better coaches who have yet to reach the Hall of Fame. And because the scoring system is so close, mm-hmm. you know, you could throw a blanket over eight points and scan, especially once you go down further down the listings, you can, you know, 10 points sure uh or i guess Uh, okay that's that's all very valid but let's test that in the in the wild okay okay let's take a coach you know very well and mac brown all right if mac brown had been at ohio state in 2019 20 and 21 do you think he could have gone 34 and 4 because i do yeah i do okay do you think do you think do you think ryan day would have probably about given where the state of the program was Probably somewhat similar of a record to Mac Brown. Like now, maybe last year with Sam, uh, you know, um, oh, the kid that was Howell. the Hal. Thank you. Maybe last year they don't sink to six and six, but overall, maybe that maybe they're eight and four instead. Okay, so that's maybe about a two game difference if the situation was reversed. Right? Would you agree with that? Okay. Yeah. So uh, so while you're while I don't I, I don't think your criticisms are unreasonable when you put it in the when you put them in the wild and overall, you know, measure them together, then 
I, I don't I think when you look at that list, there's nothing that you look at and think that's just ridiculous. You might you might have things in some moving some people a no, few slots, right? Yeah, I see way too much ridiculous out there. You you're not on that list. Okay, so, so that's what I'm trying to avoid because absolutely. I'm trying to come up with something that doesn't make that. I want to come up with something that I can win money with. All right, I'm doing this. I plan on investing my money into my research. So this isn't about my agenda or my favorite team. This is about how can I win some money. Okay, how, how can I get ahead of a market? That's what I'm trying to come up with in everything that I do. It doesn't mean it's right, but that's my motto because I certainly don't win every time I invest my money. Okay, but that's my goal is I'm trying to get ahead of the marketplace. That's why I do it this way. Yeah, so that's your motivation. My motivation is simply to present who I think are the 20 best coaches or the one through 65 power five coaches to my audience. So what's the biggest and difference in your from the, in, in, in the top 20 of your list compared to mine? I'm curious. Uh, da, 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 da. I've got Mac Brown at 12 instead of five. Okay. And then I'm trying to interpret. Which numbers, is about where he would be without the Hall of Fame bonus. He'd be about 12 or 13 probably, right? Yeah, there yeah. you go. And it's uh, except for some some outliers like a Mark Stoops I've got is the eighth best coach in America and you've got him down at 24 and it's understood when you look at the entire resume I'm talking about my list is more about who would you hire right now who is the best I get that coach too. right now yeah yeah who is eighth best right now I mean some of this is um, going to be ranking the level of job. Right. Okay. So, I mean, yes. I don't even, Steve Sarkeesian's one of the biggest droppers I had from last year. I don't even think he's the 33rd best head coach if I rated it your way. Okay. Which is what he is in my metric right now. But coaching at Texas, there certainly is a floor, right? That Because there's just certain advantages and stuff that go along with that. Right. So you're all, we're also measuring a little bit of the quality of the job. It's, it, it, you look at the, look at the end of my list. And the program and the, and the coaches that are in the last five or six slots, are those coaches there because the programs they're at aren't very good or are the programs they're at not very good because those coaches are there? And of course, the answer is yes. Yeah. So you have to. Well, so so that, only, that's part of it, too. I compared one through 30 of ours. And once you get past 10, actually, we're remarkably close hmm. between 10 and 30 in terms of our listings. And see, you're taking into account, it's similar to when I rank players. I'll rank and rate players, and I'll get a lot of feedback from my audience that'll say, that player's going to have a lot better production than that. I try to, and I know this is impossible because it's a team game, say that if Tom Brady leaves the Buccaneers and goes to the very worst offense in college, in the NFL with the worst offensive line that I am still trying to evaluate who Tom Brady is, mm -hmm. not evaluate the offense and what his stats are going to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to take the program out of it, which is nearly impossible. I understand mm -hmm. to rate Pat Fitzgerald and the resources he has at Northwestern right. versus Ohio state and Ryan day, yeah, right. uh, because that's the, that's the biggest difficulty. Like if the Michigan job came open tomorrow and we could, and we could hire any current Power Five head coach to replace Jim without any restrictions, okay? Would Pat Fitzgerald be the 16th name on my list to replace Jim Harbaugh? No way. All right? Yeah. He'd be in the top 10, okay? Yeah. But because, again, the point of this is a power rating, which means I'm specifically trying to gauge outcomes of events that I would like to invest wage, wage money on. I'm not, I'm not looking at it like that. I'm looking at it from a different set of lens. So, And, and that's... The difference between what you're doing, it doesn't make it invalid. It makes it very valid based on the, your mission and purpose versus what I'm doing is I am truly trying to state that 
in my estimation, Pat Fitzgerald is the ninth best coach in America. Yeah, I think there's a very strong case for that. Absolutely. But that's the huge difficulty in all this is we're trying to rate not NFL coaches with similar resources, but college football coaches with vastly different resources. Amen. Very well said. Okay, okay the big game bonus I got to tell you, Steve, that's probably what I have biggest issue with, not in regards to the concept of it being a component here, because I think it's a great category. Um, but when Kirk Ferentz is at two and Ryan Day's at a one, uh, where are we measuring a big game uh, based on where that program's status lies? No. So well, some of it Iowa, is. Some of that's true. Some of that's true. I mean, a big game at Iowa is not the same thing as a big game at – well, it can be, but it's not always – they're not the same level of program. So that measures into it, some of it, but a lot of that – a lot of the difference between those two coaches, brother, is one guy is Methuselah and another guy is going into year four. You know what I'm saying? Like, if there's, there's if, if Ryan Day coaches – if has a season even like last year – which would be disappointing probably to most Ohio State fans. So eleven and two and win a New Year Six bowl game, he'll get the New Year, he'll get the Hall of Fame bonus like next year. Yeah, you know, like there's a few coaches that I think are probably one more season away. Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day. I think if Jim Harbaugh has another season like what he had last year, he now gets that bonus. Where I think their resumes are kind of hovering on that Hall of Fame bonus but there may be a season or two away from that. And I think with when you look at trying to compare Kirk Ferentz or Ryan Day in that category, it really just comes down to Kirk Ferentz has been there since 1998. Or 1999, I should say. Sure. Okay, so, so, the, so that's a apples to orange comparison. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Now, Lincoln Riley versus Ryan Day, that's an apples to apples comparison. Mm-hmm. And to to give Lincoln Riley an extra point versus Ryan Day, I'm not trying to be nitpicky, but that is that's a large differential in a three point category, uh, where I think Ryan Day's accomplished more at Ohio State than Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. It's close. Certainly, he's gone to a national championship game. Um, that that I I just find some issue with that. The trajectory. You you love Lincoln Riley at ten, and I know that has a lot to do with USC and the resources there. Yes, and him being a USC good has fit already there. shown that they are going to buy that conference, and provided they're all the way in on that, no one will be able to compete with that. If if Lincoln Riley can be overrated and 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 not be as good of a coach as we think he is, and it won't matter, because he he he, you're talking about a school where Ted Tolner still went to a rose and won a Rose Bowl there once. Okay. No one knows what the hell sure. a Ted Tolner is. All right. So the, you're, you're, we're talking, you do. Yes. But we're talking from a private school standpoint. They're the Notre Dame of the West Coast. I mean, they, the, the, the endowment, what they have, their resource. I mean, that's what Saban's pissed about. Saban's pissed off that a school with, with resources and boosters and an endowment that makes the University of Alabama look like a friggin' Juco has finally decided, hey, this stuff's legal now. Let's roll. Okay, and and that's what he's trying to do. He's sending a message to his boosters. Hey guys, all right. We it was really cool when we were when we were the one of the only few games in town playing this and Bubba's Carlots could buy me some recruits. Now we've got one of the leading endowment universities in the freaking United States of America has just decided to reset the market. So unless you guys want to be going 10 and 2 and 9 and 3 every year instead of winning the SEC, you guys need to now take it to the next level. Well, that's what they're going to do at USC. And tell me who is the other school that can compete with that. Not even Oregon can do it. Because even with Nike there, Nike has to be careful to some extent. Why? Well, what's the thing I'm wearing on my shirt right here? What's that? 
What is it? What's that logo I don't there? Know. I don't have my glasses. Okay, on. that's a Nike swoosh <laughs> at Michigan. I guess you see what I'm saying. Sure. So even Oregon can't even go to Nike and say, "Hey, man, let's go to the mattresses," because Nike, while it's obviously has heavily supported Oregon, that's not their only focus. They are doing business with every with all kinds of other universities. So who would be who's the second school to USC? And the fact that we can't sit here in this environment and and clearly indicate who that is. To me, I, I mean, they're going to roll that conference and for the foreseeable future. Whatever they are okay. this year is the worst they're going to be for the foreseeable future, I believe. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Now, something that you alluded to earlier that I'm completely on board with, but I don't see entirely reflected in your rankings is the idea of a first year head coach. And basically, in my rankings, I kind of give them a neutral position. They haven't done anything. They haven't shown us anything in terms of wins and losses. We can give indications or get indications based on how they achieved as coordinators or just how, they're st- how they've gotten off to a good or right. uh, not so good start on the recruiting trail, something like that. There are indicators, but basically they're, they're zero and zero. Or, or for first-year head coaches in the, in the uh, case of a uh, – Josh Heupel or Shane Beamer, they're off to a good start. Not a blockbuster start, but off to a good start. So my point being here is you'll see a lot of coaches' rankings where they'll take all the new guys and just put them down at the bottom, the bottom of the league, the bottom of the whatever they're ranking. I won't. I'll rank them higher than guys that I think are doing a poor job because they've shown us their performance, and it's not meeting expectations. That's a a valid point. Yeah. I'll put the new guys above that and and give them a little bit of a flavor depending on whether I thought it was a good hire and what the early indications are. I see you doing something similar, or I heard it out of you a few minutes ago, but well, like I don't see it necessarily reflected. Like I see Mike Norvell nearing a troubled, troubled spot there at Florida State near the hot seat, and I see Sam Pittman very close to him in the rankings, mm-hmm. and Sam Pittman seems to be knocking it out of the park at Arkansas. Well, Pittman example. is one of the biggest movers from year one to year two. So, I mean, that was a this, that was a coaching hire that everybody was like, what in the hell are we talking about? Secondly, offensive line coaches don't have the greatest res, don't have the greatest record of becoming great head coaches, right? So, but Pittman is one of the biggest movers from year one to year two, and this again is where the program comes into play. You just mentioned the situation at Florida State. That's probably the lowest it's possible for a Florida head state Florida State head coach to be rated, which is I think it's forty second. Is where I have him correct on that list is forty two. I mean that's that's about it. I mean forty two at Florida State is not the same as forty two at a lot of other places, given its tradition, history, uh, and advantages. So that you have to factor that in to to it from a perception and, and sliding scale standpoint. But you do bring up a good point, which would make this an interesting thing to do throughout the season. Like early in the year, Brett Venables has to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. That's his first road game as a head coach. That'll be a tough choice, tough, a tough chore. Nebraska damn near beat him last year. Okay. And Nebraska's gonna have that game circled all offseason, the way kind of Michigan did against Washington. Hey, this is the one we have to win to show everybody we're back. And this is the swing non-conference game of the year. All of its non-conference attention for Nebraska will be on that game. And plus there's the rivalry aspect. That's a tough spot for a rookie head coach, and a lot of things could go wrong from an atmosphere standpoint, you know, from the heat of the moment standpoint. If he goes in there and handles that, Brett Venables, you know, if I was doing this in in season, updating it, would go up a little. Um, on the other hand, if Marcus Freeman 
um, might go into Columbus that first week of the year and just completely overwhelmed as a guy who's two years away from being the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati and is now handed arguably the biggest brand in all of college football. He could Jerry Faust right before our eyes. He could also Lincoln Riley right before our very eyes. And so that is something that if I were updating it throughout the season, those numbers with those first-year coaches could move back and forth quite a bit. But since this is just for my preseason preview, that's why they, that's why they are where they are right now. Steve, the guy that jumps out to me that has so much respect across uh, the landscape of college football and seems to have a lot of respect from you and from me, because this is not a criticism because we're only one spot off, but seems to be at a crossroads is David Shaw at Stanford. He's coming yeah. off three awful seasons. Yeah, he was tough to rate. He was tough to rate. Yes, he is difficult to rate because the, the previous six years seasons. were insanely good before that. And then that tier of coaches around him. Hasn't really been all that impressive the last couple of years, you know? So, I mean, Fitzgerald, for example, had the great year in 20, but two of the last three years, he's finished in last place in the Big Ten West, you know? So that tier of coaches around Shaw hasn't been all that great, and so he's yet to kind of suffer for that, but he's probably... Now, this year, I think they're going to have a good season this year. Now, what could that be? I don't know, might they go 7-5, and 8-4? and four? Yeah, so ironically, he could actually have a better year this year, but then suffer that drop if that tier of coaches around him uh, ends up uh, performing better than they have the last couple of seasons. And I'm glad to see you got P.J. Fleck at 20. I've got him at 22, and I got buried by a ton of people that just don't like the guy. It's just the shtick, and I, I understand that the Pentecostal youth minister thing you know, <laughs> might rub some people the wrong way, particularly in, on a secular college campus. Like that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's kind of what it is. You know, and I don't mean that to be degrading. You know, I'm just that's just an observation. Um, and I and, and we live in a increasingly secular culture. So a guy that seems very um, enthusiastic and charismatic about metaphysical themes could rub materialistic people the wrong way. But the results speak for themselves, man. I mean, I, I grew up in West Michigan. I know what a black hole, even by Mac standards, that that school had and program had been for so many years and he's got him playing in a freaking cotton bowl. You know, I mean, what he did last year with that Minnesota team, if it was, if it was not for Michigan and Michigan state in the seasons they had, he's your big 10 coach of the year, all the injuries, Tanner Morgan played like dog poop all year long. And to end up on that team with nine wins for that Minnesota team, that was a hell of a coaching job. And so I think the shtick sometimes we forget this guy's not a bad football coach. Actually, the persona aside, the dude actually knows the game. So any, anything else before we go? Uh, last one would be Brett Bielema, and I'm not saying he's uh, not correctly ranked. Again, I'm only one spot different on you. I just think it's intriguing in that he's in a difficult place to win. I've got a lot of respect for him. I think he's a solid, solid coach, and we know what he did at Arkansas, which I think gets undervalued to a certain extent, but certainly at the great was uh, – uh, resume at Wisconsin, but that was set up by Barry Alvarez to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So he just kind of, he, he intrigues me for a lot of different reasons and the personality included and now what he's experienced in the NFL and now bringing that to college football to see if he can um, add to what he's done in the past. Totally agree. Good stuff, Mark. Appreciate the conversation as always, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. You bet. Take care. Now it's your turn. This week's Twitter poll results. So I had Jim Harbaugh in my power rating metric slightly ahead of Ryan Day, and those were clearly the top two coaches in the Big Ten. 
So we asked you, do you think Jim Harbaugh is the best football coach in the Big Ten right now? 92% of you said no. Props to all you Ohio State fans that hijacked this poll. Well done. Only 8% of you agreed, though, and said yes. Notice, though, that was not one of the big arguments that Mark Rogers chose to pick with me about my coaching power ratings because their resumes are pretty close. Now, if Ryan Day has a couple more seasons like he's had at Ohio State already— and Jim Harbaugh has a couple more seasons at Michigan like he'd had prior to last season, then clearly Ryan Day would pass him. But we're not doing the coaching power ratings for 2024. We're doing them for 2022. That brings us to our feedback of the week. Totally unrelated note from Alan. He wants to know, what do I think happens with Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate? I think they both stay in the NBA draft, both of them. And then I think Michigan goes into the portal and brings home like a Pete Nance from Northwestern, some kind of a wing player like that. That's how I think this turns out. So we shall see because the deadline looms here on June the 1st. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, Please remember to like, rate, subscribe, share, five-star review, however it applies, wherever and however you watch or listen, whether it's iTunes or right here on YouTube or Google Play, Stitcher, etc. Please help us to find more Michigan fans just like you. And remember remember to also follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast to keep up to date on what we think about all things maize and blue until the next episode i'm steve dace go blue This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.